And please bow your heads in prayer with me. Father, we gather before you in worship to give you the high place, to acknowledge and to recognize that we are weak and you are strong. We are dependent upon you for every breath. And Father, we pray that those breaths taken might give us energy to glorify you, that we would take all that you've given us and offer it back to you in worship. Father, may we find our place there, our identity, our redemption, our recreation in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Increasingly, I've been following articles written on Twitter by a pastor out of Los Angeles area by the name of Erwin McManus. If you could put his picture up here, we'll get a little look at this guy. Born in El Salvador, pastor of a church called The Mosaic. He's a fashion designer, a filmmaker, um, now a megachurch pastor. There's several things that intrigue me the most um, about what it is that Irwin has to say. One of the things he's come out recently talking about new research being done, saying that his conclusion is that the greatest reason given for why the millennial generation is exiting and departing from the church, walking away from faith in Christ, is because they're seeing a church that is what he refers to spiritually narcissistic. It's too self-centered. That the millennial generation is longing for a church that lives for the other, that calls back to a place of radical obedience, of total devotion in life back to God. And when we don't see that, we simply don't want to be a part of anything less than. So I'm intrigued by that voice and the things that he's saying within that. He's been referred to as a futurist, a lead pastor, fashion designer, all these different titles. But my favorite title, and this is the second reason why I'm fascinated with this guy, his title in his church is not senior pastor. Get this, cultural architect. I work very hard in my heart to try not to covet a lot of things in life, but that is the sweetest title to have outside your door. A cultural architect. A cultural architect is someone who has a prophetic imagination because he's dreaming and is saying even within that title, I want to dream it, I want to design it, I want to implement it. I want to see the kingdom of God broken into this place in just a few more degrees than it currently is. I want to dream that. I want to design that, and then I want to implement it. Cultural architect. I think a cultural architect has as its heart the prophetic vision for the world. of What would it look like if we were to fall within creation more in line with the inbreaking of the kingdom? What if we looked at the opportunities in life in front of us, not as the problems presented to us as the world sees them, but through the eyes of faith? What if we saw difficult challenges and actually saw something beautiful when they came? Yesterday, I spent an hour on the phone with a good friend, a pastor in Liberia, West Africa, a place struggling under the weight of an Ebola crisis right now. And all the secondary side effects of a shortage of medical care, skyrocketing food prices, and even starvation. And I said, I wanted to call you today to encourage you. And he said, I am already encouraged. 
And I said, why is that, Emmanuel? And he said, because in the midst of this, when crisis strikes, resurrection shines the brightest. And I don't see struggle, I see opportunity, and I know that God will use even this darkest hour to bring about the elevation of his name, the inbreaking of his kingdom in something beautiful. A prophetic imagination always sees resurrection in the middle of crisis. It sees recreation and redemption even in the midst of the world's problems. In fact, it sees them as the soil and the fertile ground in which they are planted and in which they take off. I'll give you a little snippet of a prophetic image. If you can go to the next little clip. Seen this one, this little boy? How is she going to get across? I did that for two reasons. One, for the awe factor, because that's just cool when crowds do that. And she's standing before a chasm. There is a gap. Does not have the physical ability to get to the other side, but a prophetic imagination is always capable of building a bridge to that which is on the other side. And this little boy already has this in his mind, how he's going to solve this problem, and becomes the bridge, becomes incarnational in that moment, to be able to bring her across the chasm to the other side. I think it's a modern parable for what the church has to look like today. We are to be that. We are to be that bridge. We are to be that prophetic imagination. Imagining the kingdom of God coming closer and closer and closer, in breaking further and further and further. This is why God has given you an imagination, so that you can see things that don't yet exist. It's essentially what the call of the prophet is. He stands before the people of God and says, imagine, imagine with me what would happen if we were more obedient. Imagine if we really believed and went back to this, standing on solid ground to believe that the fulfillment of the law would allow us to experience the abundance of God. This is what the prophets continue to say as they come before the people over and over and over again. And there's themes within the prophetic voices that begin to develop over time in the national consciousness of Israel as a nation throughout the Old Testament. One of those becomes the single biggest unifying theme in the book we want to look at this morning, the book of Joel. In order to demonstrate this, I'm going to need need two volunteers to come on up front. Lauren? All right, Hannah, come on up here. Okay. So Hannah, you want to take us... Stand right here with me. Lauren, come on over. Okay, so this is you. Now I want you to imagine, in in the national Israelite consciousness, this is sort of how they understood two aspects interacting within their world. There's this developing idea of the day of the Lord. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's when God's sovereignty would be more fully established. And then, of course, there's the created order which everybody believed was upheld by God's sustaining love, by his providence, by his goodness. But every once in a while, he, he punctured through in a unique and a different way. And he lobbed something over. Sometimes the world catches it, sometimes it doesn't. 
God continues to move a little bit further and a little bit closer in. And in these different moments, go ahead and fire again. This movement continues to come closer and closer as the prophets begin to talk more and more about. We've always been bad at receiving God's grace, haven't we? You are so good at this. A little bit closer yet? All right, and now, when we can't help ourselves, God moves towards us, begins to even almost spoon feed us, and the day of the Lord is this image that begins to increase within the prophetic literature. They begin to imagine this day when, when Israel would be vindicated before the nations. They imagine a day when God's sovereignty would be fully implemented, and this language begins to develop. It gets to the point where they actually imagine sort of this sweet embrace where these two kingdoms envelop you can hug now. And <laughs> thank you, you guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> what the prophets are doing in developing this imagery of this day of the Lord, a day of full abundance, a day of total control, and they sort of see this happening. And the, the biggest barometer or dashboard indicator for this movement of God into creation in a more direct way for them was the activity of the prophetic. Whenever there was a long period of silence, a lull in prophetic activity, it was believed that God was more distant from his people and that people longed for it and asked for more. It becomes this, this longing, this telltale sign that when prophetic activity increased, God's moving a little bit closer and that day of the Lord was probably coming nearer and nearer and nearer. I'll give you some examples from a few, different, a few different passages. First off, from Numbers. This is Moses sort of talking about this longing within the people from Numbers eleven twenty nine. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead here. 1 Samuel chapter 3, remember Samuel sort of comes as this new sort of era in Israel as they're settling into the promised land and sort of this begins this, this new restoration and return to God from 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So that was the telltale sign. That's the indicator that God felt far away. There wasn't a whole lot of prophecy taking place. Okay, we'll jump ahead. First Corinthians. You put that one up. First Corinthians 14. So this is Paul now talking about what he wants the New Testament church to look like, what he wants the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to look like in the community of faith. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Those who speak in a tongue edify themselves, but those who prophesy edify the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in tongues, unless they interpret so that the church may be edified. So this purpose of prophetic language and behavior is for the purpose of edification of the body. It's to build people up. And Paul's hope and wishes that the whole body of Christ 
would be prophets. And this, of course, comes because of a transition, the Spirit coming in a new way in the coming of Christ and the understanding of the prophetic lived out through him and then in the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. One more passage. As the, we've been looking at this semester, the book of the 12, looking at the fact that the prophets still speak, working from Hosea through Malachi and the 12 minor prophets. Malachi closes... The Old Testament, the Hebrew canon, closes with these words from Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. To this day, the Hebrew community gathers, the Jewish community gathers to celebrate Passover, the Seder meal, An extra plate is set at the table awaiting the return of Elijah because they know when Elijah comes, that's the sign. When the prophet comes back, when prophetic activity comes back, that's the sign that the Messiah is coming hot on his heels. Jews around the world continue to do this in the Passover meal. One extra plate when Elijah comes. Now we know. It is no mistake that when John the Baptist shows up, He looks like Elijah. People mistake him for Elijah. He is dressed like Elijah. Prophetic activity has increased. After those words were written, 400 years of silence and prophetic activity in Israel, and then Elijah comes. No wonder people are getting excited for the possible great day of the Lord coming. They're excited at this possibility. They're imagining what it's going to look like. And now Jesus stands in line with the prophets as his ministry starts and he opens up the book of Isaiah as he stands in the synagogue that day to begin this ministry and talks about what it looks like here again and talks about this prophecy being fulfilled in your hearing. He stands in the line of the prophets and talks about the same things that the prophets have been talking about, about what it will look like when the day of the Lord comes. Freedom of the oppressed, sight for the blind, release of the captive, good news preached to the poor. The prophets always envisioned shalom. They always envisioned life the way that God intended it. And they see the convergence of these worlds coming together more fully as the, as the kingdom of God begins to envelop this world more and more and more. And they paint the picture of that. And then Jesus lives that out. The one unifying theme in this book of Joel, this strange book of Joel is the day of the Lord. That and locusts. Lots of talk about locusts. But the day of the Lord is sort of his one unifying theme. And Joel's this interesting book, too, because nobody actually even knows when it was written. And no other book in the Old Testament even gives reference to the person of Joel. So we don't know a whole lot about this guy. But he talks a whole lot about what it's going to look like when the Spirit gets poured out in fuller measure. And as Joel's book moves towards its closing and hits its highest point, Peter, in fact, bases the entire Pentecost sermon on something that Joel predicts and prophesies. From Joel 2, 28. And afterward, when the day of the Lord comes, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
See, the barometer is going to go off, and it's going to go absolutely nuts because it's going to happen for everybody. Everybody's going to prophesy at this point in time. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's painting a picture of the pouring of spirit, not just on an individual who stands and represents God like the prophet kind of individualized in the Old Testament, but prophet everybody. Not only that, but it's not just one religious guy who's set aside for this particular role. Men, women, young, old, slaves, free. All the beautiful pieces of diversity that God has created within his creation. Man corrupts and creates difference in value between. We do this in gender historically. We have done this between colors of skin. We've done it between cultures and languages. And he's envisioning this, the outpouring of the Spirit will create a restoration of these things and that those who prophesy will be about them and we will break down these barriers and these differences. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Then the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So what I want you to get in your mind is that as these books begin to unfold in the Old Testament, the whole collective national consciousness believes that as prophecy is increasing, as prophecy comes, we will know that God is more close with his creation, that God is interacting in a more direct way. We will know that God is near to us when we see these things happening. And so when Peter stands in the Pentecost sermon and quotes Joel saying, this is happening. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This will not be an individual appointment. It will be for everyone. I hear so often within the Christian community, we talk about the priesthood of all believers. We must also talk about the prophethood of all believers. We are called, this is what Peter talked about, the fulfillment of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. So what does a prophet do? If you were to not only be a part of the priesthood of all believers, but the prophethood of all believers... You need to have an imagination that is better than the rest of the world's. That's why it's said we will dream dreams and see visions. You're going to need to be able to see things and diagnose them through the eyes of the faith. And when the rest of the world looks at a problem and says that it's impossible, it cannot be done. Your eyes go a little bit wider and you see the possibilities of what happens when the kingdom of God comes in a little further and shalom is established a little bit more. And the prophets talked about a restoration and a redemption of the land and of the social systems and the inclusion of people, of the breaking down of barriers and walls. We are to be cultural architects. We need to talk about the prophethood of all believers, and we need to talk about the cultural architecturalhood of all believers. This is one of the great things that happens when you become ordained, you get to invent words. The cultural architecturalhood of all believers. This is you and my calling. You are here at Door College in order to find a place in the kingdom of God to be a dreamer for the kingdom, to be a prophetic voice. We talk about Christians being countercultural or forecultural. We are also to be cultural architects, to look at a system of law, to look at a system of education, to look at community redevelopment, to look at all the ways that we are engaging the world, to look at the natural sciences, to look at all these places and envision what would it look like when the kingdom of God's imagination is put into this. 
We are to be the best inventors. We are to be the most forward-thinking people. We are to be absolutely daring and courageous in what we will attempt in God's name because our imaginations are to be enlivened by the mind of God within us, made in his image, saved by his son, given the imaginative power and enlivened by his Holy Spirit. You are the prophethood of all believers. You are to be a cultural architect, and those little things inside of you, when you see stuff in the world that is broken and it's wrong, and you see somebody marginalized, and you see marriages that are failing, and you see the church sitting inside of its walls and not going out and changing, and you see business being built at times that is selfish for itself and building things, not worried about the process or how we treat people in the way, but only the end result, and you see that, and something inside of you says, this is not the shalom of God. This is not what we are supposed to be about. This is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is a calling being put. This is the word of God being spoken to you so that you will speak it to the world and say there is a better way. There is a more fulfilling way. There is a truer, more obedient way. And God will be glorified and we will find our humanity and we will reconcile ourselves to God. We will reconcile ourselves to each other and back to God's creation and we will find ourselves whole within this. We need better terms and we need bigger terms and we need bigger imaginations. You need a dream. We have such a way when people grow up, we sort of teach you a little bit of cynicism along the way. We teach you to put your big crazy dreams aside and settle. A follower of Jesus will not settle. They will let their body become a bridge and envision what it will look like as the kingdom of God comes in more fully. What are the dreams that God is beginning to provoke inside of your heart and in your mind? As you look into the field and try to imagine yourself taking up a discipline, taking up a place within this, how are you going to be a cultural architect? Don't settle for the way of cynicism, indifference, and apathy. These words will not be within our vocabulary. They do not belong in the mouth of a follower of Christ. Dream huge. And then dream even bigger. Become a cultural architect and a prophet. Enter into the movement of God's kingdom breaking in. Be a part of what he is doing. This is your call. Will you pray with me? Father, what incredible and mind-boggling roles you've given us. That you are about the redemption of all things through your incredible love. And what a mystery that you've invited us into this process. Father, we pray that we would find our freedom there and not our fears. That the limitations that this world has, we believe we run up to the, the boundaries of what we can physically accomplish on our own. Father, may a Christian imagination kick in there. May we be cultural architects. May we be prophets who still speak for you, who scream and cry out for justice, restoration, redemption, and in all the places where you call us. Father, may we not just be swept along in the stream. May you show us through wisdom and through the power of your spirit how to redeem our systems of law and economy of education, of transformation, of how we study and how we learn and how we live and how we relate, how cultures and kingdoms are built. 
Father, give us an imagination the size of yours. Allow us to dream with your spirit. Cure us of our cynicism. Forgive us of our apathy. And awaken us again to you breaking into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you rise and receive a parting blessing in the rest of your day? Community of Dort College, children of the living God, sons and daughters, may your prophetic voice increase. May you speak loudly and boldly for those who cannot. May you help the rest of the world see our return and our redemption before God. May you be agents of resurrection even in the midst of great despair. May you be powerful in his name. May you be architects of culture here and beyond. Go in peace to love and to serve our great redeeming God. Amen.